It was a beautiful Saturday morning, not a cloud in the sky. And I remember hitting a pothole. My bike started to violently shake. Long story short, I had a severe crash, tumbled down the road several hundred feet, almost, almost died, broke several bones, had major head trauma and severe concussion. This led me to be diagnosed with PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, which then led me to fall into a very deep depression and led me to go from a social drinker to a heavy drinker. I really had no faith in my life over those years. So for 30 some plus years of my life, I felt trapped. I felt great depression. I felt struggle. There was no one there to help pull me out of it. And I just kept fighting through life and just hoping that by having greater success in my business, I was gonna become happy. And I was drinking a bottle of whiskey a day. <laughs> the point where I almost threw my marriage away and lost my kids and even lost my business. Um, and I did that for a year. And it was the day after Father's Day, a year after the accident. And I remember feeling a presence come over me. From that day forward, I made a decision to not drink again. It has been over two years and I haven't had a sip. I am now a father of Christ and through God's love, through his mercy, and the free gift of grace, I know that I've been saved. To me, that was the moment, whether I recognize it that day or not. It ultimately led through these other seeds that happened in my life to bring me to a point where I said to my wife, okay, we need to go to church. And then I started reading the Bible. But looking back, that was the moment that I feel like I was touched by God and that my eyes were finally opened. My wife and I will talk all the time. And she would say, Daryl, I just can't understand how you've been delivered and transformed in such a short period of time, like overnight, going from someone who was basically almost an atheist, believing that there was a higher power, but that's all I thought. And then to a point where now I speak about God, I'm a follower of Christ, and to where my faith is today, I have a peacefulness and a rest inside me. No matter how difficult times get, I immediately turn to God and I just have this, I have this new way of managing through the struggles and the challenges of life. I now have another favorite piece of scripture and I, I wear it around my neck every day. And it was a gift from my father when I got baptized. It's Timothy 6.11 and it's man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, hope and perseverance. I say this every single day that I put it around my neck and I, I wear the scripture down on my heart. And I say it to myself every day before I start the day. And it's things like that that help keep me grounded. God is there for you and understands you and he has mercy. And he'll be there to save you. All you need to do is turn to him, pray to him, Ask him to forgive you, ask him to help you, and he will do just that, as he did for me. Now I get to disciple three children, and that to me is wonderful. And, you know, we pray at night before going to bed, and we, we speak about God all the time in our lives. My six-year-old the other day, he's like, Daddy, how, how, how can you love your neighbor? like when you don't even know them. And I was explaining to him, 
you know, the love that God has for us, that he wants us to love every single one of our neighbors. And that's how I try to live my life now every single day, every encounter, every person that I meet, just asking myself, how could I help them? And just listening and learning about their life and their struggles. And you'll never know how you could share something that will completely transform or change their life. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you delivered Daryl from a life that was overwhelming to a life of joy and gratitude and healthy discipline. We thank you that when he was racing down that hill and crashed, that you preserved his life. And when he was at his lowest, your spirit was there present with him as you always are to lift him up and to make him well, to give him your strength, to give him faith, to renew him for his wife and his children, and to make him new. God, we thank you that we get to hear his story. And we ask simply that you teach us today. We want you to help us see that you are always ready to deliver us. And then help us know how to talk about it so you can use us to deliver others. In Christ we pray, amen. Isn't it good to hear a story like Daryl's? It really is. If you see him, thank him. Uh, do that. Uh, he's not here now. Don't look. He was here earlier. <laughs> I am so glad that you're here, every one of you. Uh, I'm glad because I am convinced that God is the one who delivers people who are stuck and I am sure of it that in this room right now, there are many of us who in one way or another are very aware of our need for deliverance. Uh, those who are not aware, we also need in one way or another to be rescued in the way that only God can rescue us. Some of us are very aware of our needs. It's all we have right now. If that's you, I'm thankful that you're here because I believe and trust that God is the one who delivers. I hope very much that for being here, you'll be set free a bit. Uh, for, for others of us here, we are conscious of God's deliverance in the past, but we're aware still that each day we need his deliverance again. Are there some of you who are there? Yeah, we need it too. We need to be reminded of how God rescues because we can get ourselves stuck very easily over and over again. And then, this is the last thing that I very much hope for. I want you to know this at the start. I hope that for being together and thinking about how God delivers, that we'll be more equipped to share about what God is like with others. And the reason I hope for that is I'm convinced that the world needs the kind of rescue that only God can give and one of the ways God does that is when ordinary people who have been delivered are able to talk about it. Like Daryl telling his story. And your story is not his story. It's not. But every one of us right now is on a path, I promise this, where God himself looks and wants to rescue and deliver. And so I hope you're open to that today. Uh, our text for this whole month of November has been Psalm 107. It's an ancient poem that talks about God's way of delivering. If you'd look at it with me, how it begins, you'll see the path we're on. It starts in verse one with these words, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
The goodness of God is a matter of his love, which according to this poet is steadfast. It's always present and it can be counted on. That's important news in a, in a world where so few things are steady and reliable. But here, the psalmist says God's goodness is in his love for us and it can be counted on. He goes on to write in verse two, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That very simply means let those people who know from their own experience that God has rescued them talk about it. Now, some of you know that from your experience. And so for you today, you're going to be learning again how to talk about it because people need to hear. Uh, maybe others have not experienced it. Still, God's inclination toward you, whether uh, you feel like you know him and are close or you feel like you're a stranger to him, he knows you. His inclination is to save and rescue and deliver. The line goes on, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Here we have a divine vantage point. God looks out over the world and sees people scattered in every direction. And knowing that it's good for them to be close to him, he gathers them. And that's what God means to do, to gather us, to be close to him. In the weeks behind, we learned about how God rescues people from loneliness, how God rescues people from being trapped or stuck, from deep, dark misery, the soul kind of sickness that's like depression. This week, we see our fourth kind of deliverance. It's our last one. We're going to see a picture of God's deliverance from being overwhelmed. And I don't need to ask. I know that every one of you knows what it's like to feel overwhelmed, right? I didn't ask. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a cheap setup. You have too much homework to do. You cannot get it done. And it's going to pile up and your grades are not going to be as good as your parents want them to be. Uh, your teachers are going to be disappointed with how uh, you perform and your SAT scores are going to be lower than you want and then you're not going to get into a good enough college and you're not going to have a good career and then you're going to have to figure out how to ask mom and dad to move into their basement and have them pay for your phone. <laughs> and you're overwhelmed. Now, listen, or, or your kids are not performing well enough. They don't take school seriously enough. They're not giving enough time to homework. And now you're up at night because you're overwhelmed with a nightmare that they're going to want to move into the basement and you're going to have to pay for their phones. And so you're overwhelmed, right? And maybe it's neither of those. Maybe it's your boss's expectations or the market, which you cannot control. Maybe it's that neighbor who always is on you and it's just so hard. It's the relationship that you had counted on, but it's gone. It's the weather it's the kids, it's the parents, it's your siblings. It's the money that's not there or you don't have enough of it. It's all of these things out there in your environment that are completely out of your control. And when you think of it all, as I describe it here now, you are already beginning to feel it, that it's just plain overwhelming. Life is too much. We don't have enough time. We don't know how to manage it. And it's just too difficult. Does this feel familiar? Look at the way the poet describes the fourth person that we meet in Psalm 107. This is verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the mighty waters. Here's a picture of someone who's on their way to work. Where do you work? I think about the school that you work at or the office that you go to each morning. Uh, if you don't um, work yet, you attend school, that's your job. 
right? If you're, if you're saying, well, I stay home with the kids, I don't have a job, well, you woke up in your office this morning and you're going to go to bed there tonight too. That's where you work all the time. So let it come into your mind where you are at work in the world. Or trying to get your friendships together or to get your business started or, or to grow it, whatever it is. Here the poet's going to show us a picture of someone who's at work on the sea. Now this is important because the ocean is unpredictable. There's immense potential for gain when you are a mariner in this time. You can bring goods across the sea and earn lots, but the, the potential reward is proportionate to the risk. That's how it works in our world, right? You go to work because you want to gain something, and the greater the risk, the higher the potential reward, and so it is on the open seas, because as everyone back then knows, and, and most of us will know today, well, you can't control the ocean, Here's how the picture develops. Verse 24, they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. Here is the mariner gazing out over the expanse, the ocean, and it is wondrous because it is deep. And it is deep both literally and figuratively. The ocean is that realm which is beyond anyone's grasp Nobody can reach down to the bottom of it, especially in this day. The, the ocean was the realm of the underworld in this poet's imagination and the people uh, to whom he wrote, it would have been the most chaotic, frightening place. People believed in sea monsters. Do you believe in sea monsters? The Loch Ness Monster is real. Come on. If you don't believe in that, how about Bigfoot? I saw pictures online. This is, this is a man who's come up to the boundary marker at work between what he's able to control and what is outside of his control. This is a woman who's walked right up to the edge between what she can manage and what is literally unmanageable for her personally. Do you know what it's like to stand on that boundary? To see it? Many of us will know what it's like to be pushed across that boundary. Maybe our parents are constantly pushing us and we feel like they're not taking seriously our limitations. And so here we are shoved across that line again. And now we're in a place that we can't manage. Or maybe it's our spouse or our friends who push us. Or, or our social circle where we find ourselves. Or, or the people at work who are in charge of nurturing and managing our progress. They're pushing us too hard. Maybe you're shoved across the line and you turn around and it's you back there who's pushed you. Anybody else do that? That's a recipe for being overwhelmed. And here the poet after giving us the setting, shows us what it looks like for this person to be overwhelmed. This is verse 25. God does something as this man's out at work. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. This is the poet's way of saying, this person finds themselves in an environment where they are no longer in control, but rather they are at the mercy of their circumstances. If you've never been out on the water, it's hard to know what this is like. But when you're in a boat which floats in the ocean, you will also know that at some point it gets rough enough that the boat sinks. And there literally is nothing that you can do about it, especially in this environment where there's no GPS or motors. It's just you and the boat and the sails. And when the winds get strong enough, the sails come down. And when the waves get high enough, maybe the boat's going to go under. And there is nothing at all that you can do. And if you can't relate to that, imagine standing on solid ground when an earthquake strikes so that what was always solid and safe has suddenly become movable and there's nothing to cling to. This is 
a picture of being overwhelmed. If you yourself are in the midst of being overwhelmed now, here at least is a conviction that you can own whatever you think about God. It is that the poets who speak for God in the scriptures believe that God himself knows exactly where you are. That you're not lost to him. Whatever the ocean is that you're languishing on. This is the response. This is verse 26. They mounted up to heaven... They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their calamity. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. This is such rich poetry. Imagine a man, a woman who stayed up too late drinking, and now in the morning it's a hangover, cannot even walk straight. That's what this person's experience has become because they are so utterly overwhelmed. In moments like this, courage helps, but here the poet says the courage has melted away like wax too close to a flame. It's turned into liquid. It's literally good for nothing at all. They're at their wit's end. In Hebrew, the word is their wisdom was swallowed up. Maybe you're the smartest person in the room. And you know exactly what to do when things get difficult. Here is a picture of someone whose wisdom doesn't count anymore because the waves are so high they've even swallowed up that person's wisdom. They are altogether undone because they are so overwhelmed. What do you do when you're there? Think of it for a moment. Whatever it is that does overwhelm you, if it's the friendships you have or used to have, if it's the business that is pressing it upon you or has fallen down all around you, if it's your family, if it's your children who you can't control, you want them so desperately to receive the love that you have for them, but now you watch them going in the wrong way. If whatever it is, let it come into your mind. What do you do when you're overwhelmed? That's a real question now. Think of it. I'll tell you what I've observed as I've paid attention for, for over 20 years now to people And it's one of the best parts of my job that I get to be with people as they unfold to me where they are in life. You know what I've observed about people who are overwhelmed? Here's what they do. At the end of the day, they go home and they unwind by finding some form of a distraction which hopefully is not too unhealthy. A bag of chips, a pint of ice cream, maybe two pints if it's a really bad week, a drink, hopefully not two drinks, and then a TV show to get your mind off of it. And then you go to sleep, and then the next morning, listen it's back to the exact same thing as yesterday. You've got some strength because you were able to unwind and get some rest. And by noon, you're back in the same spot. You're overwhelmed again. You have no peace. You're utterly restless. All the things that caused you to feel so at the end of your rope yesterday are just back again in some other form or exactly the same form. And so at the end of that day, it's back onto the couch again. It's a new bag of chips. It was salt and vinegar yesterday. It's Cool Ranch Dorito today. And then it's another pint of ice cream or two. Am I not connecting with you? Does anybody else do this? I know about this because I do it. I know about this because the people that I love and respect do it. And the reason we do it, listen, is all around us are these very profoundly powerful messages. We're not even aware of them. That tell us, if you're overwhelmed, here's what you do. You just, listen now, you just try harder. Unplug long enough to get enough energy to begin trying harder again tomorrow. And even though we see it doesn't work, even though people who achieve everything that we've been led to believe will make us happy, achieve it and are not happy, we cannot hear their voices. All we hear is the voice that says, keep going, keep going, keep going. And so we run and run and run and we never give up. There's a member of our family who's named Cookie. She's a hamster and she lives in a cage in our living room. Have you ever seen a hamster on a wheel? 
you cannot believe how fast this thing can run. Uh, my wife did some research and, and, and learned that uh, hamsters in a given night will run the equivalent of four marathons overnight. And, and do you know how far they get at the end of it? They don't get anywhere. Cookie loads her cheeks up with seeds and she gets into this little wheel which is attached to her cage and she starts to run. We watch her do it. She runs for about 30 seconds and then she stops. She pokes her head out of the wheel into the cage and she says to herself, we know that she's saying this, oh my gosh, I'm still in the same place. She takes her head out <laughs> and she starts running again. She's telling herself, if only I run faster, I'll get away from this all. She pokes her head out, same spot. She does it over and over again. And listen now, we love Cookie. And some one of you will say, I know how to solve your problem, Christian. Take her out in the backyard, point her toward the neighbor's yard, and just let her go. Poof, problem solved. <laughs> but, but we won't do that. We hold her, and Lily gives her little pets and feeds her popcorn and tells her everything's going to be okay, and then we put her back in, and she's running again. And we look, oh, we look so much like that to God. We do. I, I want to say it. I look like that to God. I do. When I'm running and running and running. And I'm telling myself, well, it's because the waves are so high and the wind is so strong. And I'm saying, if it only goes away, then I'll be fine. Or whatever I say, and you're doing the same thing. You're running because you're saying, if, if I get this next achievement, if I gather more resources for myself, if I have more power, then my soul will be fine. And you get there, and it's not fine. And you poke your head out of the wheel, and you say, oh my gosh, I'm still in the same place. And you have to go back to running again. And you do it with friends and with relationships and with every single one of the, uh, of the goals that the world sets before you and says, if only you achieve this, then you will be fine. And the worst of it, here's the worst of it, is that it never works and we don't know it. And the reason, here's the reason, is we have believed these lies in our mind that keep us running. And what God wants is to deliver you. And I mean that. He wants to deliver you. If you're racing down a hill, headed toward a pothole and a crash that almost kills you, God is looking at you and wants to deliver you, if that's you. If everything seems fine to everyone around you and even you, but still deep down inside there's this gnawing ache of emptiness, God wants to deliver you. So how will he do it? I'll tell you what. God delivers in part by addressing those lies which we have in our mind which keep us running. I want, I want to set before you these four and let's see if one of them uh, will relate to you personally. Here are thoughts which keep us overwhelmed and they're widely believed. Here's the first one. I am what I achieve. Gosh, we start teaching our children this awfully young and we reinforce it all through grade school and middle school and high school and then in college and then they get out into the world with this message in their minds. I am what I achieve. What am I? Well, I mean, think about it when you introduce yourself to someone. I am and you say what you do for work and the better the job, the better you feel about yourself because I am what I achieve. And, and, and so it goes that we buy this idea that the accomplishments that we are able to own, that we can look at ourselves and be proud of, those are the things which give us value. Oh, again, you can see many people who've achieved what you would imagine would make them completely satisfied, and yet they are not satisfied at all. And so they keep running. And the other side of this is, is the belief that when I fail, that makes me less valuable. And this kind of regret and shame gets buried in people who know that they've not done right. 
And then they carry this idea around of themselves that they're not worth much because of their failures or because of their lack of success. And what this does is it keeps us running. It keeps us overwhelmed. Here's a second thought that we'll put in our minds that will keep us going. It's all on me. I mean, in some measure, it's good to be a hard worker. I love working hard. But there's a line that's crossed when a person begins to think success out there is altogether on me. What happens to my children? Completely on me. What happens with my work? Entirely up to me. What happens with my family and the people around me and the church that I'm a part of or the business that I run or whatever? It all is up to me. Success is completely my responsibility. My well-being is in my hands. My future is in my hands. When this is in your mind, here's a second ingredient for being overwhelmed. Because remember that line beyond which you don't have control? Oh, we're all gonna meet it. But this thought, well, it tells us that's no excuse. You could even control that. Here's a third. This one is insidious, especially for people who recognize their own limitations. I will never, or I will always, have two different sides of the same coin. Yeah, I'm overwhelmed today. I came to church. The pastor started talking about God's deliverance, but I'm never going to experience it. Oh, when he talked about how my you know, uh, my God is the one who's ready to save me. I've heard about that for a long time, but I will always be the same mess I am. I'm always gonna be alone. I'm always gonna be less than the people around me. I'm never gonna make any progress. I'm just stuck here forever. And that is, that is a message that people have taken to heart. Here's the fourth. And this one, you add these three up to this fourth and you're doomed. I'll be satisfied tomorrow. Man, this is another lesson that I can remember. I can remember as a kid, just I was in third grade and I could not wait for fourth grade because that was, those were like the salad days. You don't know that expression? Raising Arizona? It's an obscure reference. I don't blame you. Fourth grade, fifth grade, even better. <laughs> Sit, right? And then oh, only when I get out of middle school, which is so awful, and then I get into high school. But now you high school students are like, no, 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 no. It's college. That's when, when I'm free from these parents. And then it's the career. And then it's when I finally meet the person who is my soulmate, who can anticipate every one of my needs without my having to say so and meet them and always make my every wish come true. Then I'll be fine. <laughs> when we have kids, it'll all be better. When the kids finally get out of diapers, then we'll be fine. When we're through the terrible twos, then everything will be great. When we reach adolescence, then it will be life as... No, no one has ever, ever, <laughs> ever said that. <laughs> oh, I know, I know that so many of you right now are overwhelmed and you're stuck on the wheel because you've bought this lie too. When we finally meet the fourth quarter goals or whatever it is, then... And so you go on laboring on this wheel running because you believe it, whether you would say it or not, that you are your achievements, that everything is up to you, that it's on you. You're independent and it's all on you, that you're always, and you're always gonna be here. You're never gonna make that, and, and tomorrow is when you'll be satisfied. And running like this, please listen to this. The God who made you sees it. The God whose fingers command the heavens, whose breath moves on the, on the ocean and it stirs the, the calm in, in, into a storm. That God sees you and knows it. And what that God's heart is for you 
is love beyond what you could ever imagine. If you have the best mom and dad in the whole universe, imagine that. God's love for you is so much more profoundly pure than that you couldn't even dream of it. If you have the spouse that is so good to you all the time, their heart is toward you, they forgive you, they're gracious, and you think, I'm the luckiest person in the world, God's heart for you is even more profoundly love and grace and mercy. It's true. Some of you have had such a hard time in life, you think, this has got to be a lie. I wish it were true, but I, I don't believe it because my life has been too hard. Even you, if you would only pause and wait, the inclination of God toward you is pure benevolence. It's pure goodness. It's, it's perfect love. And I know you can't see it, maybe, because maybe you've only ever learned to keep running, but it doesn't work and what you need is to be delivered. That's what you need. That's exactly what you need. It's what Daryl needed as he was rolling down that hill to the crash that would look awful but would turn out to be his salvation. It's what you need. It is. And here, it's what the, it's what the psalmist does when he's at his wit's end. In verse 28, here's what, what it says. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out from their distress. This is hard to see if you come each week and listen to me speak on Psalm 107. If you read the whole thing, you'll notice that there are four different kinds of trouble described, east, west, north, and south, because the poet knows that as many different people as there are in the world, that's how many different varieties of trouble there are. I want, I want you to know this. I would never dare lump you all together into one category. Every single one of you has your own unique burdens that you bear. And God knows it. And so the descriptions of the four different kinds of anguish that people face are different in this psalm. But what is exactly the same in all four descriptions is this first line here. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Because the poet wants to make this point. No matter what your problems are, the solution is always the same. It is that your heart should cry out to God. That's it. If you're lonely, you should turn your heart toward God and cry. And that looks like this. God, I don't think I was meant to be in this life all by myself. And I don't like it. Would you help me? If you're trapped because of some addiction that you, you suffer from, and it's, it's an obvious one maybe, or maybe it's a not so obvious one that nobody ever talks about, but there you are stuck. Uh, crying out to God means saying, God, I can't manage this. I can't make it. And not faking it. You can't just try this out. You have to believe it in your heart. When your heart cries, it's true. God, help me. I need you to break the bars that hold me. If you're in a pit of depression and your soul is sick and it's so bleak there, God knows in what your heart cry, it, maybe you can't even make any words. It's just a moan. But the Bible says that when your heart moans and cries, God himself turns it into holy words that he can understand. Do it. Cry out. If you're overwhelmed because work's too much or family's too much or school's too much or these relationships are too much or whatever it is is too much, here is the guidance. Cry out to God. Just say, I can't take it anymore. I need to get off of this wheel. I need you to deliver me. And here's what happens. Verse 29, he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. That's meant to be a beautiful picture of tranquility. Of course, an astute observer will say, wait, here he's taken away the circumstances that have made it so difficult. And the truth 
that you said earlier is that even when circumstances are hard, you can still know God's deliverance. I will tell you that here in this poet's brilliance is a picture not of the change out there, but rather the change in here. Because this poet knows that your heart can have a storm in it. And that the waters of your soul can be stirred beyond, beyond anything that you can manage. And the way God works is that he comes and he, 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 he reaches out and he calms the storm inside. And I know that at least one of you know that from experience. Am I right about that? If it's been a long time, okay. Put, put aside where you are right now. Would you remember that day when the Lord reached out and he calmed your soul? I, one of the reasons I get emotional and I speak as if I believe what I'm saying, it's because I've been through this. I've been in the stormiest times in life and I, I just cried out and God delivered. It's happened many times. I need it to happen again, but it's happened. And oh, isn't it good when God frees you? Oh, look at what he goes on to say. It's such another, it's such a beautiful poetic image. Uh, he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they had quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Listen, the haven that you desire, the harbor that you're trying to get to at work, it's not more career advancement. That's not actually what you, what you really want. It's not more money or more power. It's not. It's not more praise None of that is what you really deep down inside want. What you want is peace for your heart. You want that. You want to know that the world is not turned bad, but in fact has good in it, and that God is real and is there. You want to know that there is security that is deeper than all of your circumstances, and that everything's going to be okay. That's what you need. And what God does is when you cry out, he delivers, and he brings you to that place where your heart knows deep down inside that all is well. The psalmist who paints this picture of chaos transitioning into deliverance. Remember what the, the psalmist said at the start? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It is my responsibility, and I really believe this in the world, to do everything I can to help as many people as possible come to know the deliverance of the Lord. And I know strategically the best way for, for that to happen is not for me to just say it as best I can on Sunday, but for you to take the responsibility that only you can bear, which is to say to the people around you the truth of God's deliverance. And if you're here this morning and you're not aware of his deliverance, you don't own it, okay, so you listen to me, but the rest of you, you must listen to how God delivers so you can be better equipped to talk about it with others. What God does is he delivers, and the way he delivers, here, look at this list again, is by turning all four of those messages which we have in our mind which keep us overwhelmed on their head. And I'm gonna be very specific here. The way God himself delivers when we cry out is he comes to the person who has believed I am what I achieve and tells them in their heart the truth. You are my beloved. Doesn't matter what you do at all. God says this, and this might seem capricious. On your part, you might say, well, what difference does it make if anything then happens in our lives? You haven't yet heard the truth. If God comes and says, you are my beloved, there is no greater engine in one's heart to inspire a person to greatness in the world, no longer for themselves, but for others. But this is what God says. He says, I know your past. I know everything you've done behind you. I know your failures, your missteps, the things you've intentionally done against me and your fellow man, and I 
love you. You're beloved by me. I know you've labored for a long time believing that only when you achieve are you worth anything. I am here to free you from that illusion. I love you because I made you and you are my daughter. You are my son. If you know that, if you can nod and say, yes, thank you for reminding me of that preacher. Uh, not many people call me preacher, but let's say you call me that. <laughs> then, then it's your responsibility to say so. And that means find someone in your life who right now is overwhelmed because they're driven to achieve as if it, their value depends on it. And you just put your hand on their shoulder and say, you know, I just want you to know God loves you. I, I believe it. If you don't believe it, okay, but I believe it. God loves you. That's how you say so. Here, look at the second one up there. This is the statement, it's all on me. God comes to the person who's overwhelmed by that belief and says, I'm here to help you. Oh, it's, it's not all on you, God says. What's on you is on you. Don't you ever, ever shirk your responsibilities by pretending that it's all up to God. No, 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 not that. It's much is on your shoulders, but, but I have you in my hands, God says. And so, of course, it's not all up to you. Work hard. Do your very best. Use the gifts that I've given you to make the world better than it is, but trust at every step that it's not all on you. I'm here to help you. A very present help in trouble, God says. The one who's there with you in the storm. You might say, where is God? He's right there in the storm with you because you're his. He loves you. He's never gonna leave you or abandon you. He's right there with you in the storm. And if you know this and you can take pleasure in this truth and be secure in it, thank God and then get ready to tell someone else who thinks they're all alone in the challenges they face. You put their hand, your hand on their shoulder and you say, hey, I want you to remember God's with you. He's here to help. He's closer to you than I am even. And if they're a person who regards personal space as holy, they'll say, get away from me, you're too close. <laughs> but God is there. Here, look at the third one. This is for the person who's constantly struggling, believing I will never, I will always. God comes to that person and says, I make all things new. And that's God's decision. God's decided to do that. That's what the story of Jesus Christ is about, a world that is broken and fouled. And God comes into it in person to take the stain upon himself, the guilt upon himself, all of the misery and the hatred and the ugliness that any man or woman has ever committed and he owns it himself so that he can make all things new. Not some things, but all things. And the person who comes to God and trusts him is a person who receives this promise. Behold, if any woman is in Christ, all the old is gone I've made everything new. Any man who comes is ready to hear God's word of grace, which is, in me you are brand new. And then the last one, which is this lie that says, I'll be satisfied tomorrow. God comes to promise to that person that he is here right now with his gifts. And he says, take delight in the present. Stop striving. Stop looking all over. Stop grasping. Just open your eyes to what's right here beside you. The person who sits next to you is his gift. The air that you inhale right now is his gift. This building in which we gather, even though it's 44 steps up, is his gift. The songs which we get to sing, even though you might not know the tune, they're his gift. What's before you on this very day is his gift, if only you will open your eyes to see it. And I'm gonna tell you this, God is, does not force us. We can go on right back into that wheel and start running. We can, and God's made it like that. But because of his deliverance, we're free. 
We don't have to run like that anymore. We're free to own the truth that we're his beloved, that he's here to help us, that he will make us new, and that we can take pleasure even now. If you have been delivered, say so. If you've not yet been delivered, cry out to him. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. God, I thank you for each and every person here. I thank you for this stranger who's here for the first time who I've never met. I thank you for the dear friend who's here for the first time. I thank you for those who've come each week, who've climbed the stairs to this place, wanting to know if you're real, if you're true. God, would you have changed our hearts for having been together this time? Would you give us a deep sense that we're always free to cry out to you and then would you deliver us from whatever overwhelms us? God, for those of us who've been delivered, God, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Help us know how to say so to others and then use us to bring your light, your freedom, your joy, your goodness, your peace into this world which so desperately needs it. We ask for this in Jesus' name.